All right, forbidden topics uh, is what we're doing. Uh, lessons that'll get you criticized, called out, or canceled. And I say this, as I mentioned before, because nobody actually talks about these things because the things we're talking about in these series, right, uh, uh, help us uh, or even encourage us to make a decision about what's right and what's wrong. And we live in a society where nobody wants to be told what to do or what to think, or they don't want to be told they're wrong on something. So a series of lessons <laughs> that deals with popular vices, not exactly popular. So, but we're going to forge ahead anyways. Tonight, lesson number 10, the great illusion gambling. The great illusion gambling. So I want to talk about what's called the poor man's vice. And it's called the poor man's vice gambling. I call it this because the rich rarely gamble because they know it leads to poverty. Rich people don't like to throw their money away. There are so many forms of gambling and so many issues related to this activity that you know, one 30, 35 minute lesson or session couldn't possibly do justice to the topic. So I've chosen to simplify things and to um, uh, break the lesson down to two parts, okay? First, uh, I'm gonna talk briefly about internet gambling, which is the newest approach and most profitable approach to, uh, uh, to gaming in this day and age. And I'm gonna finish with a reminder and a summary of what does the Bible teach us concerning this behavior? So if the, uh, and if there's time, I'm going to share some of my personal experiences with gambling in my own family. So uh, I, I, I know of what I speak. So when I searched uh, on the internet uh, back in 2001 for gambling uh, sites for a lesson I was doing, I found, there may be more, but I found that there were uh, 800 places online where a person could gamble in various ways. Since online gambling is illegal in many places, it's hard to get exact statistics, obviously. However, just to demonstrate its growth, uh, according to the American Gaming uh, website, Two-thirds of internet gaming operations are located in small Caribbean and Central American countries that provide little or no government or legal oversight uh, and control. For example, on the small island of Antigua, uh, which I've been to very lovely, uh, hosts 536 sites just on that little island, 536 gambling sites in Antigua, and they pay 3% tax to the government, and that's it. They're left alone to do what they want to do. Sports betting at every uh, amateur to professional level, to virtual casinos offering poker, roulette, and other forms of casino type game. Total revenues for internet gambling alone have grown from $300 million in 1998 to, to $2 billion with a B in the year 2000, 
over $10 billion 2002, growing to an incredible $70 billion in 2020. That's a big industry, $70 billion. According to the National Gambling Impact Study Commission, gambling on the internet is especially enticing to youth, to pathological gamblers and to criminals. This is, uh, you know, there's no mechanism at the moment that prevents minors from using their parents' credit cards to set up accounts at gambling sites. Happens all the time. What, $3,200 for what, you know? <laughs> Uh, oh, oops, sorry, Dad. <laughs> Dr. Howard J. Schaefer, Director of Addiction Studies at Harvard University, likens the delivery system that the internet provides gambling to gamblers. He compares this delivery system to the improved delivery system that crack cocaine provided to the drug addict who was only using coke. Bad, back in the bad old days, you know, in the 60s and the 50s, 60s, you used cocaine, coke, and then crack came along. And it was 10 times more powerful and half as expensive as uh, cocaine. So he uh, likens the delivery system, you know, of internet gambling to the same thing as, co as, as cocaine. Crack was cheaper, faster, and more powerful than the old ways of ingesting uh, cocaine. Well, in the same way, internet gambling is faster, the payoff is immediate, the variety of games endless, and it can all come to you in the privacy of your own home. You don't, you know, ladies, you don't even have to get dressed up, put a little makeup on, whatever to go down to the local casino. You can just stay home and just play right there on uh, your computer. Of course, some uh, may be asking themselves, isn't gambling illegal in the United States and in Canada? And the answer to that is yes and no. Gambling is illegal in the US and Canada unless it is regulated by the individual states. Therefore, every state has various statutes regulating the type and extent of gambling permitted in any one place. As we know here in Oklahoma, gambling is legal on Native American reserves. As I said, most gambling sites on the internet are primarily based in the Caribbean and other locations and are unlicensed, untaxed, unregulated, by any, any state in the United States or any federal agency. Now, under existing federal law, it is still unclear if web gambling sites are illegal. And for this reason, a push has been made to create legislation that would regulate some and ban most gambling sites on the internet in the United States. Washington has debated a bill aimed at resolving this problem. The uh, Internet Gambling Prohibition Act, uh, Bill S3322, has had mixed success in winning the approval necessary to legally stop internet gambling. It has been watered down and even in its new version, 
it failed to win a two thirds majority necessary to overcome a veto. Both the Trump administration with, let's face it, you know, Mr. Trump was a former casino owner. So you know, <laughs> he wasn't interested in promoting this idea. And, and the present administration under Mr. Biden, President Biden, uh, they have not placed this issue very high on their legislative agenda, if at all. I ask you, when was the last time you read an article or, or a speech online or in the paper or on TV dealing with the issue of gambling? You haven't because it's uh, way, way, way down on the, uh, on the list. And so the fight against gambling in general and internet gambling specifically is not a high profile political issue. There have been blue ribbon panels who have studied the effects of gambling, including internet gambling, on society in general and their report and their recommendations were included in the National Gambling Impact Study Commission paper. This was a, a blueprint used by legislators and policymakers and social service groups in order to help them minimize the negative impacts of gambling and not necessarily eliminate it. You see, the government wants to regulate gambling so it can maximize its tax revenue from it while trying to minimize the negative, meaning the costly negative effects that always, always results from this activity. You see the problem. They want to tax money, uh, but they don't want to spend too much on all the problems that come with gambling. So it is reluctant, meaning the government, it's reluctant to eliminate gambling or alcohol or marijuana today because people are going to do it anyways so why not legalize and tax it and hope that the negative effects on the population will not outweigh the benefits of financial profit from these activities in the long run? I know this is a little dry political stuff here, but just bear with me, please. So aside from various laws protecting minors from gaining access to online gambling and uh, restricting advertising gambling sites in poor neighborhoods, most of the remedial work or help provided for those who have become addicted to gambling comes from social and religious counselors, many of which are online, just like the gambling sites. One such uh, site uh, is uh, ncpggambling.org, meaning nationalproblemgambling.org, and you see the phone number there. 1-800-522-4700. That's one of the places that provides helps. Now, gambling sites recruit their customers like any other business. They advertise by word of mouth, banner ads on various sites, cross promotions on other gambling sites, email and text distribution with special offers, bonus packages, enticements, all kinds of ways to entice people to kind of just try it, you'll like it. You know, that's the, the pitch, you never know. Of course, 
once you're there, the game gets into your blood. And before you know it, you're a customer for life. It's an addiction. It's like drugs or pornography or alcohol addiction. You know, it works exactly in the same way. And so this is the brief overview of this new twist in the old gambling game, online gambling. Hundreds of locations, thousands of opportunities to gamble anonymously. That's the important thing, to gamble anonymously. Your wife doesn't even know. Your wife doesn't even know. You get out your uh, different credit card that she has no access to and you, you play and you pay on the side and you, you play, you know, she's gone to bed. Uh, some, some guys watch porn, other guys gamble. Now we've touched on some of the legal and social service approaches being made to deal with this growing problem or addiction, some have. Let's now examine what the scripture teaches about gambling. You're saying the scripture teaches about gambling? Yes, it does. You know, it would be so much easier uh, to talk and to describe what we should be doing about gambling if the Bible simply said, thou shalt not gamble. Oh, so simple, thou shalt. You know, like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. You know, we, we get, people do it anyways, you know, but as far as teaching about it, it's pretty simple. But alas, we don't, we don't, we don't have that passage anywhere in the Bible. If it was there, it'd be cut and dried, an unarguable position for all to see. The only choice would be to obey or to disobey. Unfortunately, the Bible rarely mentions the word gamble or gambling and does not have any references to uh, horse racing or casinos and of course, internet gambling. Of course, the Bible does not have the word pedophile either. It doesn't have the combination word drug addiction. It doesn't have the phrase spousal abuse. It doesn't have those words. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have something to say about those types of activities. The Bible is not simply you know, a rule book about do's and don'ts. It's much more than that. The Bible is a book that talks about the relationship that exists between God and man. How God loves and how God has acted toward mankind in creating a holy relationship between himself and mankind. And how mankind has and should respond to God in that holy relationship. So one of the ways that we respond to God in this relationship is by honoring him with our lives as Christians. You know, in 1 Peter 1.16, Peter, you know, God speaking, says, you shall be holy for I am holy. God says this to us as individual Christians, you shall be holy. Why God? Because I am holy. You know, you're my people, he says, and I'm a holy God, and I, I, I want a holy people. 
And so part of this holy living is reflected in the effect that we have on society. How we impact society with our example and our speech and our decisions. Thankfully, we live in a country where our de decisions make a difference in what happens in society. You know, Abraham Lincoln expressed this idea when he said that government is of the people, by the people, for the people. Well, as Christians living in America, we have a unique responsibility with our vote and with our voices. We are responsible for promoting in our laws and our social policies, those things that honor God, those things that are good and those things that are, that are healthy. This is, uh, this is where the issue of gambling of all kinds comes in. Is this activity of gambling and the government's participation, are these things activities that will honor God? Are they activities that will serve the population for what is good? You see, from a Christian's perspective, I don't think so. And I'd like to give you several reasons why. I'm going to pick casino gambling, for example, because there's so much of it online and we're so familiar with it here in uh, Oklahoma, lots of casino around. So number one reason, there's no luck in casino gambling. Now I could take out casino and I could put any other type of gambling there, you know, sports betting, blah, 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 but I'll just put casino gambling. There's no luck in casino gambling. The big draw to gambling is that you could be the lucky one to win big, right? Others just like you have hit it big and so could you. I mean, haven't you heard the commercials on radio and TV? There's Susie uh, Smith, you know, hey, I was down there and there I won $16,000, you know what I mean? And it's really, she really did. But they're not going to show some, <laughs> some poor loser walking out and say, yeah, well, I lost my paycheck. That guy, he, he never makes it to the commercial, that guy. Well, first of all, let me tell you that there's no such thing as luck, okay? That doesn't exist. Luck does not exist. The concept of luck is a product of magic and the occult. That's where the idea of luck comes from. The idea is that with special words or special objects, you know, my lucky rabbit's foot, my medal, my lucky t-shirt, whatever, you can manipulate the unseen spiritual forces to work in your favor. That's what the idea of luck is, all right? This is a staple idea of witchcraft. However, as Christians, we know that all blessings come from God, whether we acknowledge this or not. There's no luck. We, 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 we don't, there's no manipulation of the spirits for our own advantage. That's witchcraft. There's simply a predetermined number of winners and losers. That's, what, that's the business of gambling. Believe me, I know this. 
a predetermined number of winners and losers. For example, lotteries are one million to one. Those are the odds or more. But the minimum is one million to one. Well, I'm not a you know, math person, but in my research, I uh, found out that statistically, if you have odds that say 10 million to one, that equals zero. That equals you have no chance. If it's 10 million to one, you, it's zero statistically. Now the ratio is one winner and nine losers for every 10 players. That's how it works in casinos, horse racing. You have one winner for every nine losers. Sometimes the ratio is changed. You know, they play with it a little bit to attract new players. You know, when they talk, oh, the loosest slots in town. What do you think they mean by that? Oh, you know, we've, we've played with the ratio. You know, yeah, four out of five win. Well, that's, that's a, that's a bald faced lie. But sometimes they play with the, with the numbers to give you a little better odds, maybe two, uh, two in 10. But let me tell you, uh, it is never in the advantage of the players, never. Gambling is structured in such a way that 90% of the players lose 100% of the time. Luck has nothing to do with it. And it's definitely not a blessing when 100% of the people who play in casinos will lose 90% of the time. So don't believe the advertising. There's no luck when the game is pre-programmed, especially internet gambling, especially gambling that has been organized with a computer, <laughs> with a program. You know? It's not like when you play you know, war with your with, with your niece or your grandchild, you know, you might have a chance there, you know, but the pre-programmed plays in casinos and especially in online gambling uh, are, are programmed for you to lose. Now, the advertising makes you believe in luck but the reality is that the overwhelming odds are always against you. I mean, there's no argument for the person who likes to be inside of a casino and doesn't mind losing the hundred bucks that they came because they just like being there. I like sitting there for four hours and feeding you know, coins in a slot you know, uh, and having a smoke. and getting a cut rate lunch at the, at the restaurant. I like doing that. I don't care if I lose a hundred, well, there's nothing to do there, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I have an answer for that, but as far as odds are concerned, there's nothing you can do for that, for that person. Another reason, there's no good in casino gambling. The main political argument for legalizing gambling is that the state will have additional revenue and it'll contribute to lowering taxes. And this is going to be a great thing. <laughs> I ask you, are your taxes any lower? 
Are your schools any better? Have the teachers been paid adequately now that we have all this revenue coming in from casino gambling? Gambling in any form has been proven over and over and over again not to benefit people in general. There's no upside to gambling, except for the people who own the casino. Oh yeah, there's an upside for them. Statistics show the first 17 states in the United States to legalize gambling have reported that the net revenue generated by this activity has contributed to only seven tenths of 1% to their gross state revenues. Less than 1% added to their revenues. Gambling brings in some revenue, but the little revenue it does bring in is not worth the problems that it creates and attracts. Again, not for the casino owners, I'm talking about for the general population. What are some of those problems? Well, it's the most common reason public officials are indicted in the United States is on gambling related charges, bribes and kickbacks. Gambling, attracts criminals. Organized crime operates in and around gambling. Never mind the nice facade and the clean bathrooms. That's just customer service. And I know about this part, as you know, my dad was part of organized crime and he was a gambler and he worked in the gambling business. Believe me, it's a business. Crime increases as gambling increases. For example, Minnesota's crime rate went up 40% after legalized gambling came in in that state. These are just statistics. That's all, you can research them for yourself. These are just stats. Legalized gambling promotes more and not less private gambling. They always say, well, if we have a nice casino, blah, 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 people, you know, they'll go to a nice, clean, safe place to gamble and you know, less people, uh, 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 no. No, more people want to gamble. You, know, you give them the bug. Compulsive gambling is what promotes increases in white collar crime. 40% of fraud, bad checks, and other forms of white collar crime are the result of compulsive gambling. And of course, those hurt the most by gambling are the ones who can afford it the least, which are the poor. Very, well, it's not funny to them, but it's you know, ironic. Um, they, in, in Quebec, where I come from, they did a study there because they weren't, the, the government was you know, not making enough revenue, not enough profit from their lotteries that they were putting in. We have every kind of lottery in Quebec. It's a huge industry, you know, billboards everywhere and so on and so forth. Anyways, the government, you know, their net profit was not growing at the rate that they thought because everybody and their brother was buying tickets. And you know, and you know what they found out? 
the majority of their lottery players used welfare and social security checks to buy tickets. So think about what they were doing. The government was recycling its own money through gambling. <laughs> no wonder they didn't make any money. <laughs> All the people on welfare uh, would go in with their checks, their welfare check. And I remember knowing guys who, who had stores and that, and they'd say, well, there's certain days when there's a big rush because that's when their check comes in. You know, in Quebec, it was twice a month or whatever. Anyways, uh, 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 they would go, yeah, a quart of milk, a bread, uh, six Twinkies, and give me four lotto tickets. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where the money was going. Most of the money that the state gets from gambling must be reinvested to regulate and police the industry. That's not including the money spent on dealing with the broken families, the crime, and the ruined lives that come as a result of gambling. I'll tell you one thing. It is immoral for a government to promote something which encourages the worst instinct of its people. Greed, greed. Easy money at the expense of others. That's, that's what gambling is. Easy money at the expense of others. In Proverbs 22, verse 22, uh, the writer says, do not rob the poor because he is poor. And that's exactly what takes place. Good government seeks the best for its people, not something that can enslave and ruin them. Gambling is not good public policy for the people, especially the weak and the poor, the lonely. You know, they don't have other things to do, so they gamble. <coughs> then, ouch, I felt it. No such thing as a Christian gambler. No such thing as a Christian gambler. Christians are salt and light in the world, Matthew 5, 13, 14. This means that we're to exemplify what is best in what we say and do and what we promote. We don't argue with and can't control everything that goes on in the world, of course. But God has not put us here to win elections or referendums or establish policy. He knew we would always be a minority in the world and as such would probably not have much political or military clout. God has put the church on earth to be the pillar and the support of the truth. First Timothy 3.15. Our job is not to win elections. Our job is to win hearts to Jesus Christ. Our job is not to make laws that govern the people, but to warn the people which laws are contrary to the laws of God. Our job is, is not to accommodate the world and its activity, but to renounce ungodliness in all of its forms and live holy lives that give honor to God and a witness of faith to the world. And you're not going to do that sitting at the casino with a cigarette dangling out of your mouth. Christians who gamble, whether it's for a little or a lot, 
are like lights that are hidden away under a bed. They're like salt that has no taste, useless for the purpose that God created them. Gambling, regardless of how it's dressed up, you know, as entertainment, like in Las Vegas, or a professional sport, or even as you know, harmless pastime, you know, Friday night poker, bingo. Yes, yeah, go play bingo. It's all part of the world. It's all part of the kingdom of darkness. And Christians who want to honor God have no part in it. And neither do they support it in any way. Why would we want to go pretend we're part of the world? by participating in that kind of worldly activity when we confess that we're part of the kingdom. My, my, my exhortation is make up your mind. Whose side are you on? I think I can speak with authority when I talk about gambling for several reasons. First, the research on the effects of gambling on society has shown in every single instance that the negatives far outweigh the priorities. I feel confident because the research backs it up, what I'm saying to you. History has demonstrated over and over again that gambling hurts many and profits only a few. Politicians and operators, they're the ones who make money with gambling. Secondly, I feel confident because I know that the Bible describes quite clearly the lifestyle, the ministry, and the attitude of Christians. And believe me, winning money at games of chance or trying to increase one's wealth at the expense of someone else or promoting a proven social ill are not things that Christians do or support in their effort to honor God and love their fellow human being. You're not, you're not loving your neighbor when you participate in gambling. And I can also talk with authority about this subject because gambling hurt my family. My family. As you know, I've said this time or two before, my father, Tony, was a compulsive gambler. He did a lot of things in his life, but for the last 10 years or so, uh, he was a bookie. A bookie is a guy who takes you know, bets over the phone you know, and, and people, you know, he writes it down in his book and then he collects the money. If you, if you win, he goes and pays you. If you lose, he goes and collects. Okay, that's what he did. We had several phones in our house. They were, they were going all day long. He had all his papers. The cops used to come and he'd give them an envelope of money once a month to just leave them alone. You know, that's how it worked. No, what was, what was so ironic is that he would see people lose their money all day long betting on horses. And then with the money that he made off of them, he would go play cards at night and lose it all. 
I mean, it was such a sad thing to see. Here was a man who made, you know, maybe two or three thousand dollars a week. But because of his compulsive gambling, we never owned a car, ever. We never, we never had a house. We always lived in apartment buildings. There was never any money for vacations. We never went ever on a family vacation. Not one time in my whole life did we go on a family vacation, never. There was no money for college, none of that stuff. And my mother, Jane, had to work. I asked her once, why do you work? I'd see the money piled up. Why do you work, mom? And she said, somebody has to make sure that there are groceries on the table and the rent is paid. And that person is me. And on the night that my father died in 1962, he left the house after supper with $4,000 in cash in his pocket. And I checked online how much money that would be today. And that would be $34,500 in today's money. In those days, you could have $1,000 bills. When he came home later that night and succumbed to a heart attack, he had no money left on him. He was dead at 53 years of age. My mother figured that Tony had simply had a very bad night at the poker tables and probably caused his heart attack. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved my dad. He was a kind, he was a generous person. He was very affectionate with me and he, he was always proud of me. But he had this thing, this gambling sickness that probably killed him. And it left my mother and I destitute after he died. No money, no car, no savings, no nothing, zero. We were out in the street. So I will never be convinced of the good or the fun or the advantages or the morality of gambling in any of its forms. I want to finish this sermon with a short article that I wrote long, long ago about another one of my family members. This was my cousin, my cousin Andre. My cousin Andre was married to my wife's sister. So he, you know, it was really close. We introduced them and they, they got married. Well, my cousin Andre, he was like a brother to me that I never had. And he was the other gambler in the family, same problem. I didn't know this. I only found that out later on that he was a gambler. And so I wrote this article for him and I'm closing up my lesson by reading the article to you and it's very short, fear not. It's called 80 million to one. My cousin was a gambler. He died last year of self-inflicted wounds. But while alive, he taught me the definitive lesson about gambling. He said, when you win, you lose. And when you lose, you lose. His point was that once you begin to gamble, you're hooked and winning or losing becomes secondary. 
Just playing the game is all that matters. I thought of him uh, as the TV flashed the news of the country's biggest lottery winner taking home $109 million after taxes. People justified the 80 million to one odds by saying that one lucky guy was a winner and it could have been them. The sad part, no one reported, was the fact that in order to produce that one winner, millions of people had to lose part of their hard earned money. In addition to this, they also forfeited a measure of personal freedom as the gang gambling disease was discreetly injected into their veins in order to guarantee their loyalty to the next round of lottery mania. Let's be careful of the gambling bug. Once you get it, you lose all the time, even on those rare occasions when you win. The only way to avoid it is never to begin, not even for fun. That's how my cousin started to lose everything precious to him, including his life. That's my lesson for tonight. Thank you for your attention. God bless you.